the gospel lessons written in the ninth chapter of Matthew, beginning at the ninth verse. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Today I again have the privilege to preach and lead worship. However, I'll only be preaching three more times before my retirement in June. As I think about that, my mind wanders back to my very first sermon. A first sermon is an experience every pastor remembers. Knowing the scrutiny that will be applied by the listeners, it is an intimidating task. Preaching not only relies on faith, understanding, and inspiration, but also courage. Follow me. Those are the key words of Christ in the scripture reading you just heard. That same scripture was at the center of the message the first time I preached. And today I'm going to show again the great artwork that illustrated that first sermon. You'll see it once more in a few minutes. I often hear people say that with so many awful crimes, horrors, and suffering, the world today is worse than it has ever been. That's not true. Wickedness and misery have marked humankind through the ages. The people of Jesus' day are as sinful and debased as anyone alive today. They live under the oppressive rule of a murderous totalitarian Roman government and a rigid religious authority. This is the setting for the Gospels. Theft, wife-beating, drunkenness, perversion... Abuse, corruption, and violence surround the ministry of Jesus. When it comes time to call disciples, students, into his ministry, who does Jesus choose? Well, what kind of people does he have to choose from? All his options are bad ones, literally, because every person he encounters is a broken, sinful mess. So when he says, follow me, it's not to paragons of virtue. Every one of that inner circle of 12 disciples that Jesus calls 
is a sick soul in need of him. The scripture isn't shy about this. We read in the Gospels the stories of their selfishness, arrogance, and cowardice, even in the physical presence of Christ. Throughout time, God has used the unworthy and sinful as his tools. And because he's God, he makes it work. The gospel lesson today is the story of how one messed up soul was called by Christ to become one of the twelve. Matthew seems the least likely person to be chosen for this inner circle of twelve. His profession and life are scorned by others in his community. He's a tax collector. In Matthew's time and place, a tax collector is the worst of the worst. To start with, he's a collaborator with the enemy occupying forces. Matthew's collecting taxes for the Roman Empire. The Jewish people are being squashed under the iron fist of Roman rule, and Matthew is squeezing the populace for the money to fund the Roman power structure. He must extract from the local economy a set amount of taxation, which he then forwards to Rome. But there's a perk to his job. Anything he collects above and beyond the required taxation amount, he keeps. So any tactics he employs to over-collect enrich his personal coffers. Matthew's the kind of guy then that other Jews despise. He's a traitor working for the Romans. Plus, they have to hand over their hard-earned cash to him. And even after they pay what they actually owe, uh, some which is already exorbitant, he pressures them for more. Matthew could write the book on how to lie, cheat, and steal. Yet Jesus walks right up to Matthew's workplace and encounters him carrying out the filthy business at hand. Instead of rebuking Matthew, he calls him to a life of faith. Follow me. And then something amazing happens. Matthew, without question or qualification, gets up and leaves his lucrative business behind. The words of Christ compel him to follow. Now here's something else to think about. This passage that records Christ's encounter with Matthew is written in the Gospel of Matthew. He's giving us a first-hand account of the pivotal moment in his own life. His account of how he's called to Christ is rather brief. He humbly edits it down to the sparest, most essential details. The calling of Matthew is not only told in his own gospel, though, it's recounted in the gospels of Mark and Luke, too. Matthew himself just mentions that later Jesus is eating a meal in his home, along with what appears to be a rather motley crew. Unsurprisingly, it seems, Matthew has friends among the 
other tax collectors and disreputable types in society. So when Jesus dines with Matthew, it's not with just one outcast, but a crowd of such riffraff. It's worth reading the parallel account of this scene in Luke's gospel to glean a bit of added detail. Luke tells us this is not just any dinner. It's a grand banquet that Matthew throws in honor of Jesus. Notice that Matthew's new life in Christ is something he celebrates. He invites his friends to dinner. He wants everyone to know. It's no secret. Matthew's done nothing to deserve this new life Christ has given him, and in great joy, he leaves his old life behind. And now I'm going to show you a very famous painting, the one used to illustrate that first sermon I gave. Uh, Back in those days, we didn't have the great projector we rely upon now. So we printed up little inserts in the bulletin. It was years and years ago, but how many of you remember that? Oh, lots of hands going up. Let's see how many of you remember the painting. This work is the Baroque artist Caravaggio's dramatically lit vision of Christ calling Matthew. On the right, Christ, along with Peter, enters a room. Christ has the thin golden line of a halo hovering over his head. Christ directs, follow me, pointing to Matthew. Seated at the table, fingering the money he's collected, a long-bearded Matthew draws back, pointing to himself, as if to say, who, me? You're calling me to follow you? Matthew here is a man well aware of his own unworthiness. His four assistants are at the table with him as the day's proceeds are counted. One of them appears to be an aged accountant time. But the other three are notably young. And the painter does an interesting thing to help his audience understand what kind of a man this Matthew is. Only Jesus and Peter are in biblical dress. Caravaggio shows the young punks around Matthew in the flashy, excessive style of the artist's own day. He knows his contemporaries will relate to these details in a way that will make the centuries-old story of the calling of Matthew more immediate. Look at those young dudes armed with needle-like swords, their plumed hats, clingy leggings, puffy sleeves, and tightly cinched vests are the I'm-so-cool-look-at-me costume of the era. If we were to do an update of this work for our own time period, you can probably imagine the tough guy clothing these thugs would wear nowadays. They are Matthew's hired muscle, employed to literally squeeze every last coin from the local taxpayers. They are his henchmen, his enforcers, his leg breakers. 
it's the artist's insight into just how low a character this Matthew is. Focus again now on the figure of Christ. Look at his hand. It's in a distinctive arcing droop. Three fingers hang from the palm, but the index finger points, points directly at the soul of Matthew. One of the great geniuses of the Italian Baroque period, we generally refer to this painter by the name Caravaggio, but his complete name is Michelangelo Marisi da Caravaggio. He shares a first name with that greatest artist of all time, Michelangelo, who lived a hundred years before Caravaggio. The precise posture of Christ's hand is Caravaggio's homage to the earlier Michelangelo. Do you get where he's going with this? It's a quotation from Michelangelo's ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. The Almighty reaches out to Adam with the same hand position. Adam comes into being as the spark of life passes from fingertip to fingertip. This is the hand that brings life. In using this position from the Sistine ceiling, the painter is underscoring the divinity of Christ. He's telling us Christ is God. And he's drawing a parallel between the Genesis story of the creation of human life and what Jesus is doing here. As Jesus enters the scene, Matthew's a dead man walking. His sinful life, lived for his own pleasure and profit, is a rejection of God. The manner of Matthew's life denies the creator God to worship himself. But now we see the moment when the call of Christ, follow me, compels Matthew to leave that deadly old existence behind for a new life. Follow me. These words are not just sounding against Matthew's eardrums here. They penetrate his heart and soul as well. Christ has called him. And Matthew hears with his whole being. As a result, this is a life-changing event. Matthew's given a gift which he embraces, a gift he has certainly done nothing to deserve. Follow me. These words bring a change in the heart of Matthew. He no longer wants to be that man living in the darkness of sin. Instead, his most private inner self, his spirit, his soul, longs for a relationship with the light and life of Christ. Leaving the Roman taxation and revenue department, he finds a new occupation, and it's a much better job. Matthew's days are now spent in the presence of Christ. He witnesses miracles, and here's the words of truth. The good news of Christ becomes a part of his being, and he's compelled again, this time to share that good news. This least likely of men becomes one of the great voices for Christ. 
he ends up writing the Gospel according to Matthew. Think how many people over the centuries have read his words and been inspired by them. They are words penned by a man who once was lost, a person of no merit. Did you notice the window in the back wall and those wood strips holding the panes of glass in place? There we see a cross, and this is no accident. The cross stands over the entire scene. Just as Jesus calls Matthew here, the cross reminds us of what Christ has won for us in his crucifixion. He calls us into his life as well. We too are pitiful sinners, like Matthew. We do nothing to deserve this new life he gives us. It's a pure gift. Follow me. Jesus calls his 12 close companions in ministry with these words. But these are not just words spoken 2,000 years ago. Our Lord also speaks to human hearts through the ages. Each person hears his personal call. Follow me. Whether you're a mature Christian or a new seeker, these words have been spoken to your heart and soul. It's why you are here today. There's a plan for your life in Christ too. Doesn't matter if you don't think you're good enough or haven't the right skills. God has always used flawed human beings as his tools. He calls you into his life and ministry. His salvation is for you too. And his hand points to your heart as well. Amen.